you know, it's, it's sort of like that old analogy of uh, if you're a good person or if you give to charity, you give $10 to charity when you've got no money, you probably give something when you do have money. But you don't wait till you become rich before you decide to give to charity. It doesn't work like that. It's either, you know, that's the type of person you are or you're, that's the type of person you're not. This is Crisis Cast 2020 with me, Toby Goodman, a podcast where I get timely wisdom from experts in life and business. These guests will answer my five questions, sharing wisdom and insights to help you and me get through this global shitstorm. Today on Crisis Cast 2020, recorded on June 3rd, Word from Australia's Sunshine Coast with Scottish business owner, investor and mentor, Mark McRae. Mark shares his thoughts on mindset, being a good buyer, the importance of respecting legacy and why the IQ of the wealthy isn't always what it's cracked up to be. Before we start the show, I have something for you if you identify as pod curious. It's perfect for you if you're an expert, consultant or business owner. Maybe you're wondering if podcasting is worth the effort, especially now, or perhaps you've tried podcasting in the past but have been disappointed with the results. In this free guide, Podstar, I'll share the exact seven steps we use to help publish over 2,000 podcasts each month. To get instant access, go to podcastnetworksolutions.com. Mark McRae, welcome to Crisis Cast 2020. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. So it's June the 3rd. You're a Glaswegian living in Australia. (laughs) Yeah. That's a good combination. It is a good combination. Imagine that you're, you're warmer than you used to be at least. Yeah, <laughs> it wouldn't be hard. <laughs> so British media and the general consensus tells us Australia and New Zealand have reacted well to COVID and this whole situation. What's your experience been on a local, on a personal level of what's, what's happened in the last few months? I think that, you know, overall, most Australians, including myself, are happy with the way uh, the Morrison government has dealt with it and reacted quickly to it. Um, and probably because of the geography um, of where you know Australia sits, and also the geography of the country, we haven't had it as bad as uh, a lot of other countries. You know, I, I'm not 100% sure in the numbers, but where I am in Australia, the Sunshine Coast, I seem to remember someone said they've got like 300 cases and one death. Um, I, there's not, you know, where I am, there's not. Uh, it's uh, people were expecting it to be a lot worse than it actually was. And now they're beginning to ease off on the restrictions of movement and how people ga- gather. So we're, um, I don't know whether you know, people are talking about there might be a second wave, but uh, right now uh, people are, you know, I think getting over it. Yeah. So schools back open and all of that stuff? Schools are back open and uh, gyms, I think, are open uh, in another week-ish. I know that uh, um, I got an email from my gym. I think it was, I can't remember the date, but around the 15th, it's going to open again. And that was one of the last things. You know, they did restrict travel for a while. And um, and that was down to, you couldn't go uh, more than 50 kilometers 
from your residence and you had to have the 1.5 meter distancing and there was, you couldn't, um, uh, most of the restaurants were closed and then they opened up for takeaway only. And now you can have 10 people in a restaurant. And I think that's also been going to be relaxed to 20 people. So the whole thing is being relaxed now, you know, the, Interestingly enough, it's uh, a lot of people are, were predicting that when this was all over, there would be the world would change. That would be different. But people seem to be springing back to their previous habit, uh, habits pretty quickly. Right. So on a personal level, you're working online anyway. I imagine quite a lot of your work you're you're doing on your own terms, uh, as you have been for a while. So has it affected you much? It hasn't affected, uh, we've been very fortunate that a lot of businesses have been affected. Um, as an investor uh, and as a buyer of businesses and also with my own company, I was in a, a sort of COVID-19 lifestyle before COVID-19. So uh, there was not a lot of movement for me in terms of traveling to meet people or um, and my daily activity. And in terms of the business, my online business as a marketing company actually improved slightly. You know, it depended a lot on what market you were in, what industry you were in, as to how you were affected with it. And also the type of uh, reaction you had to it. And so did you react in a different way? I mean, I, I saw you putting out a amazing video that, that I think led me to invite you on this. And the video was called Stop Comparing Yourself to Everything Else. Uh, and I'm a big fan of the do more of what works message. It's taken me, taken me a while to learn that lesson as well, but I, I've learned it now, I think. Was there a reason why you chose to post that message at that point? Was that part of your overall strategy to help? Well, it's interesting how you don't know how you affect people and, and when and where you affect them. And, you know, as we were discussing before this podcast, because I never even remembered that post until you mentioned it now. But what kind of led to that post was in an effort to try and increase uh, my own business, I started to try and be, to build a, a brand, if you like. And in the process of building that brand, you become very aware of social media. You know, things that, uh, you know, 10 years ago, you wouldn't have thought about when you're building a brand, you're constantly watching, uh, you know, how many likes you get, how many followers you get, how many views you get. And it's very easy to lose perspective and what's real and not real in your life and also in what affects your business. Because someone who likes you or follows you or something else doesn't necessarily increase your bottom line. And that was the purpose of building that brand. So that was how things affected me on a personal level, that it was beginning to creep into my life how much I was aware of things that didn't you know, necessarily produce anything good at the end of it. And um, also, I think that with uh, in terms of the COVID-19, I think that some of the advice that was given to businesses at the time was you've got to be proactive. You know, if you have a marginal business and you're gonna and you were going into COVID nineteen, you have to have an inflection point. You have to have a point at which you say, "This isn't going to work," and close that business, or you know, sort of stand people down. And a lot of people who had businesses were kind of deliberating whether they should or shouldn't do something, and that was the wrong action to take, as opposed to being proactive and saying, "You know." Um, 
It's kind of like when you were fighting your brother when you were you're a kid. You held each other until one of you said uncle or a give in or something. You know, you, you should have a, an uncle point in your business where realism has to step in and you say, all right, um, our business has de- to decline to this point. And if, if you're going to survive in that business, you have to make some difficult choices about your staff. Who's going to stay? Who's not going to stay? What's going to happen? What expenses you have to cut? And the sooner you do that, the better. The faster you're going to come out the other side. And also, you've got to be aware that when in a lot of businesses, particularly offline businesses, when things do resume, it's not a light switch. You don't switch things back on and everybody comes to your restaurant or your dental practice or your chiropractor practice. It might take two or three months to get back to where you were before. You need cash flow to get you there. And some businesses will, will never get back there. So uh, I think that was what... Uh, inspired the post to answer your question yeah good answer so you know you're a man that's owned 30 businesses in six countries what are you advising on the way through and the other side looks like from your perspective what's what's happening there you've you've obviously had so much experience uh working and helping people that's a very good question toby but one of the things that people should realize about all of their businesses and in life in particular is that uh, this COVID-19, the, the coronavirus, you did nothing wrong, right? It wasn't like you made bad decisions and all of a sudden you're losing money or your business is closing. This came from nowhere. It affected everybody to some degree on the planet. And um, if you're in a situation where you've, things have gone badly for you during this period of time, I think it's very important to realize that you never changed as a person. So if you were a good person going into this, you didn't suddenly become a bad person because you lost your business. You didn't suddenly change your character. You know, it's, it's sort of like that old analogy of uh, if you're a good person or if you give to charity, you give $10 to charity when you've got no money, you probably give something when you do have money. But you don't wait till you become rich before you decide to give to charity. It doesn't work like that. You see that, you know, that's the type of person you are or you're, that's the type of person you're not. So the first thing is not to be so hard on yourself where if it never worked well, is to realize that who you are as a person is different and distinct from who you are as a business owner. Because a lot of business owners think that their IQ goes up because they make some money. Right. It doesn't, you know, it's the same thing. It doesn't work like that because there is no such thing as, you know, in business where everything goes smoothly for forever. There's going to be ups and there's going to be downs. And this period of time, there's a lot more downs. There's a lot more challenges and the, you know, there's a lot more hardships. And we're probably at the beginning of it. You know, people don't have, people react and recover quickly. But the, the sort of tale of this, Effect when all of the government money goes in the different various places. That's when the real hardship, I think, is going to come in. Yeah, it sounds like you've got a very strong and healthy mindset on it. Is that what you're working on with your clients at the moment? You're working on that that stuff as well as the actual actions. Well, it's an, that's an interesting point too, and it's interesting because the majority of people that um, I have worked with is usually in a mechanical part of it is, is kind of like, how do you grow and scale your business? So it's the mechanics of the business. So as, 
But the longer I work with someone, the more it comes down to where your headspace is at. What is the vision? Where? How do you? Because you know, if you the old saying is that if you show me a business in trouble, I'll show you a man in trouble. And you know, a lot of it's psychological, particularly for small businesses. Your attitude to how you are going to succeed, your attitude about what you're going to try and achieve. And even in your own business, Toby, you know, there'll be days when you wake up where you don't feel that pushing that rock up the hill, you know, you've got, you've got to make that happen. And if your head isn't in the right place, you just don't want to do it that day. But that's where, um, you know, having a, a strong mindset and belief in what you're trying to achieve, the vision is where that comes in. Yeah, agreed. I think, I think Todd Herman said once at some point you can, you can afford to have a bad day, but can't really afford to have a bad week. <laughs> That's not far wrong. Okay. So you're investing, you've got your own business, but you're investing. What are the opportunities? I've, I've spoken to uh, Shweta Invest. I've, I've spoken to maybe a couple of other people that invest, but maybe not as openly as you are. You're someone who posted up again, you know, I'm looking to invest in businesses right now. So what, what are the opportunities f- for investing for people who are, uh, who have some, who have some cash and are looking to, I'm, you know, a, a sort of a, I wouldn't say more predatory, but there is a, the, like you said, you know, the psychology of business. There are a lot of people who, for whatever reason, uh, have decided to give up in their business, right? It's just too hard for them. So as I've gone through this COVID-19, they have had businesses that are either marginal or they just have made a decision, well, I'm not going to go, you know this has been a wake up call and I'd rather do something else with my life. I'd rather be in another niche. I'm a baby boomer and maybe I'm thinking this is a good time to exit the business. So there is a plethora, there is a lot of businesses around right now that would like to exit. And I believe, and I sort of, uh, you know, in that process just now, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm overwhelmed, but the deal flow is incredible right now. Um, of people who want to sell their business. So the more people are supply and demand, right? So the more people who are s- selling their business, the more favorable terms I can negotiate. So, um, and, and a lot of the time, you know, it has to be something I can, I think I can understand. You know, some businesses are so complex that, you know, you, it's a Warren Buffett thing. You just put them in a too hard basket. And also I believe that, um, I can, you know, it's a real win if I can take over a business, retain the staff, grow the business, and also keep the legacy of the previous owner. Because a lot of people who have had a business, say, for 20, 30, 40 years, keeping their reputation and brand alive and what they built is very important to them. That's something that I suppose ultimately comes down to a feeling from the person you're buying from that you're going to do right by them and do right by their staff. Because once you've bought the thing, you've bought the thing and, and it's, it's yours to do what you will. Are you having those conversations when you buy from people? Because there's a lot of emotional Always. attachment, isn't there? You know, the number one, I suppose it's the number one thing with negotiating anything, but particularly something as personal as a business. Because when you... Uh, negotiate to buy a business, you get very intimate with the person. You've got to know how they thought and how they structured that business. You've got to know their finances, right? So a lot of people, um, you're talking about their business, they will say and do one thing, 
But the cold, hard reality of an accounts set of books is something else. So that's a kind of almost intimate act. So the number one reason I think someone is most likely to sell you their business is that you have a good relationship with them. And there is a, an honesty and a respect and a belief in what you say is going to happen. So, um, you know, when you're, it's almost a dance in the beginning. You're trying to judge each other. You know, as uh, someone who's trying to buy a business, you're trying to figure out whether the person selling the business um, is genuine and whether what they're telling you is true because numbers don't tell you everything. And the person who, um, you know, that's uh, looking at me as a buyer is thinking, you know, does he have any money? Is what he's telling me the truth? Is what he's saying, you know, going to happen? And that's what I love about it. You know, I love the negotiation part. I love the, I love the chase. You know, I love the, everything is, every business is different and unique. Although there's this, you know, all business you could categorize as a vehicle to make money. The, um, and if somebody runs a business really well, they could probably run most businesses well, you know, the ones, if they understood them and everything was documented properly. But there's that X factor that you've got to figure out that makes that business work. Because if you looked at your business, for example, um, you might be able to understand your business, but the character inside your business, you know, what, what you know that no one else does, uh, what the paper doesn't tell you, that's what you've got to try and find out. Yeah, very interesting. So uh, when you're going in to buy a business, what's the, it sounds like there's a little bit of dating that happens before, before, and, and, and that's, that's obviously the, the right thing to do. What's the what's the quickest uh, time frame that you've had from meeting someone to acquiring? Uh, probably an hour. Uh, and that was a sort of asset deal. There are occasions where, if it's a, particularly if it's a smaller deal, but there are occasions where you could be, um, if someone was in the exact same business as you and um, you knew, Almost with a hundred percent confidence rate, you knew what that business looked like, and you could run it. It was almost identical to yours. You spoke the same language. You knew how everything worked. Um, it, deals are a lot faster. You know, you can say, "Well, um, you're asking the right questions," and um, that also some businesses are a village. They're almost a very small community, so you can't afford to um, go in there like a maverick and just, you know. Uh, pillage everything so uh, i think so the fast to answer your question uh was taking over a small marketing company where the person didn't want to be there anymore he hadn't wanted to be there for a while and because i knew and understood that particular niche in marketing um and we both knew that the the most important point for example was the email list and the value of the email list uh, I think it had a hundred thousand subscribers or something. Um, we knew everything else was trivia. So the outside, somebody could have spent weeks trying to negotiate um, that, but I knew and he knew that the only value that company had was its email list. We agreed in what we thought the lifetime value of that was, and it was a kind of virtual handshake. We'd never even met, so um, I bought that. Uh, I bought it. And I paid for it in the afternoon and uh, I still own it. That was 10 years ago. Wow. Yeah, the lists, uh, 
certainly my experience of of working with companies that have lists that have not mobilized them for want of a better word maybe uh it's astounding to me you know when i see databases that aren't you know and you can you can send emails that will it's the fear of the unsubscribe sometimes i've worked with email uh uh, business owners who have incredible lists and they they have fear of unsubscribing so they so they stop sending emails it's like it's nuts well here's an interesting thing i was i was doing some research into the, uh, the financial needs for example and the average subscriber subscribed to 11 different newsletters so this particular company started 11 different newsletters so that they would just have different niches within niches cool. to try and keep them. And, you know, people will always unsubscribe. So uh, one of the things that I've learned about businesses, if, you, if there's a brand in that business, people are basically agreeing with your philosophy. So if you have a podcast and it's got a big, you know, a big following, it's a group of people who generally agree that that's what they like to hear, that philosophy. It's like that's their favorite pastor. And it's the same for emails. So as people go you know, on in time, they change, they find somebody else or they leave or they forgot they signed up. Um, but one thing that we do that I think is unique is that each email list has a personality, it has a voice. And I have a team of copywriters uh, in the US. So if we were, say, taking over um, whatever list it was, and let's say it had 50,000 people on it, and the list had produced X you know, on average over the last three months. We have been very successful in doubling the income of all the lists that were taken over within 60 days. And that's uh, you know, a function of much better copy, a much better understanding of how emails work, uh, what's important in an email, and also trying to tune in to what that subscriber really wants. You know, so if we if we find those hot buttons, if we can find what where value is for that person and deliver it, then we can extract a lot more value from uh, most email lists that we deal with. Yeah, that makes complete sense to me. Yeah, there's a, definitely a broader conversation that around networks and and other stuff. I'd love to have with you. Tell me about things that you're seeing from where you sat. I mean, you're you're in a very safe part of the world but you've definitely got a lot of global experience. What's impressing you? What's surprising you? Good, good and bad right now. Uh, You mean around the world or here in Australia? Around the world. I mean, I think Australia, I feel like, you know, you've definitely, you've definitely covered that. You've definitely spoken about what it's like there. I'm more, I'm more interested, I suppose, in what's impressing you or or surprising you in a a negative way that, that you're seeing coming in, because it strikes me that you and I, although we're at very different points in, in our lives in a lot of respects, are, are working in a bubble. We're working uh, in our own bubble that we've created. We're pretty safe. We're okay. Um, but we're also traveling the world every day on Zoom. And we were probably doing that before everyone else started to as well. So you've got a pretty good sort of overview of how people are behaving, what, what people are doing. So that's, that's where the question comes from. It's interesting. It's interesting what's going on in America right now with the riots. So as we're speaking at this, you know, time, um, and how that's been dealt with is interesting. I think it's interesting in, you know, uh, how Africa, um, is dealing with it. I think it's interesting how, 
you know, different countries are reporting that and how it has, uh, from a business point of view, it's woken up a lot of businesses and governments to how the supply chain works. So, for example, a lot of things are imported into Australia as they are to other countries. And when those supply chains were broken uh, or cut off, how do you deal with that? So, you know, I think going forward, a lot of countries might become more insular as opposed to global because they've realized their weaknesses. I think that things like tourism are going to take a long time to recover. I mean, if you're a country that has an extremely low COVID rate and they haven't found, um, uh, you know, an antivirus, why would you allow people from other countries that have a high COVID rate because you're endangering your population? So that leads on to, you know, international travel and everything that does that. So I think they might go through, the countries might look at themselves and tourism might happen a lot more in their countries. The supply chains might, manufacturing, which has been decimated in a lot of countries, might come back in again. Um, how, you know, the, at this stage, you know, people haven't shaken hands for like a couple of months. You know, human contact might change. Who knows? That might be different. Um, and, um, but it, it's, like I say, it's amazing how resilient people are because they don't just lie down and die, you know? So there's a problem. The majority of people get on with it and try and find a solution and deal with where they are. And I am not fanatical, but I don't, you know, I try and eliminate negativity. So I don't watch that much news because it's mainly negative. That's how they get viewers. I mean, Donald Trump was a gift to the news world and then so was COVID-19. You know, you, they exasperated the position and also, you know, you, you see nothing else but news channels. But negative people, negative things, negative, uh, if it's negative, I'm just not interested in it. So you create your own reality. So uh, I'm a great believer in that. I'm a positive person um, and uh, I won't allow negativity for very long into my world. Yeah. Yeah. Amen to that. It, it's funny because I just wrote as you were speaking, I just wrote down uh, a, a question which which I'll tell you in a second, but actually what Andrew Locke told me, who's a, a British guy who's now back in the UK, but was living, he was actually in a casino, living in a casino in Vegas when the lockdown happened. Quite an interesting story. Um, but he said to me, you know, you've got to remember there's no money in positive news. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, it kind of reminded me of that. But the question that I wrote before you said that was, was, so where are you getting your news from? How are you informing and educating yourself? Because you're somewhere, I'm in this place as well. I don't want to, I'm not going to read tabloids. And I'm not going to read sensationalist, you know, unqualified opinions of people. And, and I'm not also going to read stuff that's so negative that I'm just, you know, in some sort of doom loop <laughs> um, all day long. But I still feel like I need to know what's going on. So where does Mark McRae get his news from? Well, do you need news for your world to work? I mean, what would happen if you removed it? Would the world stop? I think a better question might be, where do you get your information from? Well, yeah, as opposed right. to news, because news would be sensationalism. But right. um, you know, I've, got, so I've got a team of people who are everywhere from Canada, America, UK, and most of the countries in Europe. So every now and again, I'll actually say to them, what's happening 
what's really happening where you are? How has that affected you? You know, are you seeing a lot of it? Uh, I've got people in Africa, South Africa, and what is, how has that affected you there? And uh, there are, uh, for example, even in Australia, you know, the, the, they've got news just like everybody else. But there's one or two newspaper companies that I will read for 10 or 15 minutes a day that I think are given an, an honest perspective in what's happening. Uh, that's harder and harder to find. I mean, I have people telling me news that they found in TikTok, right? Or, or they're telling me the latest, you know, how 5G or it's a Costa Nostra thing or it's an Illuminati thing or the something that caused this. Somebody even sent me a clip of a Chinese soap opera five years ago that mentioned the coronavirus. And, you know, and people are taking that as their reality, as, as that is being real. So I want to avoid that, right? So I want to avoid obviously questionable sources of information. But if I am, um, you know, if I'm talking to you and we're friends and we know each other and trust one another and I say, what's really happening where you are? How's that affecting your life? That's a, worth a lot more to me on the grounds than uh, anything that I can see in the news. Yeah, agree. Agree with that. I just had a chat with a friend who's, who's just become a father in the last month and uh, a lot of fear about, you know, what's going to happen. And, and at one point, there was a lot of fear about the fact that he wouldn't be there to see his child born because they weren't letting people in and stuff. But actually, I spoke to him yesterday and I found out that he was there. You know, so it's okay. <laughs> like it's it, it, and you know, happily he he was there and very uncertain and all of that stuff. But was in a strong enough place myself to remind him that actually he did he did get what what I got, which was to see my child born. You know, fantastic. But at that point in time, let me ask you: at that point in time when your child was born, yeah, were you really worried about anything else other than what was immediately going on in your world? That event? Of course not. No, it's too important, right? It's because of the mundane. I can't remember the author. I think it might have been Thoreau who said that most men live a life of quiet desperation. Yeah. Something like that. Most people are, are, don't have enough going on in their life that they, they fixate on whatever the next major event is. Yeah, absolutely. I think in, in that case, you know, that is about as major an event as you can be at yeah. in my experience uh ha having experienced it twice and uh, all being well <laughs> never again <laughs> you know I, di I did kind of feel like that is actually a real thing like of all of the things that may or may not be real this is something that my my friend might be denied because of the situation but yeah all good so i mean happy to answer anything else that that you that you feel uh is relevant to the chat but otherwise i'd love to know where people if you could tell Tell the people listening where, where they can find you, what you're up to, what you're looking for right now. Well, um, the easiest place to find me, uh, you know, if you're uh, interested in selling a business or you, you know, are interested in working with me to help grow your business, would be to reach out to me at my website, which is markmccray.com. Um, so that's uh, M for Mike, A for Charlie, R for Romeo, K for Kilo, M for Mike, C for Charlie. R for Robert, A for Alpha, E for Echo, markmccray.com. Awesome. But let me ask you then, just before uh, we head to the wrap, your business, you could say, is conversation. 
right? And hopefully interesting conversation. So all of the conversations you're having in the last two or three months, uh, what do you think you've learned from the people that have gone through that? Um, I've learned that people are largely decent. The, the ones that I've been speaking to anyway, I've been very selective about who I've been speaking to. I've been looking to get a real what is actually happening on the ground opinion, which very much echoes what how you're getting your information. You're getting your information from your team, from people you know, from people you trust, from people uh, in that way. And I've been doing that as well. And I've been using it as a very um, strategic excuse to to grow my network and to speak to people who I want to get to know, who I can see that align with what I believe in, who I can see that um, are, are trying to make the best of this situation and, and have always tried to make the best of any situation because they have that type of worldview. So, so my lessons so far and will continue to be, I imagine, um, that, that people are, most people are decent. Um, don't, don't read too much news and continue to educate yourself with people who know what they're talking about. And, and as ever, and as you corrected me rightly, um, around the, where do you get your news from question? Good questions. Where do you get your information from being a better question, bet good questions, get good answers. So I'm, that's the piece that I've been learning because I've been coaching and working with podcasters behind the scenes, but I've never been the podcaster. You know, I'm very, very happy not to be in the limelight, but it felt to me like this was a time to just, just start conversations. And actually, if you broadcast them, if you give people a reason to talk to you rather than pick your brains for an hour, it, it seemed to be something that I had, I, I was able to take control of and am able to take control of. So yeah, does that answer your question? It does, and it does well. And one last question for anybody who's listening who would like to start their very first podcast. Of all the podcasts you've done, what advice would you give them? Where do, where do people fail, right? Or what do they do wrong when they start? No, they think they can do it themselves. They think that an audio file is a podcast and it's not. Um, there's, <laughs> and also, the, you know, editing audio... And this is all covered in the Pod Curious Guide, which is spoken about both ends of this podcast uh, by the time you're hearing it. Uh, audio files aren't podcasts. Editing audio is a job. It's a very skilled, highly skilled job. Writing show notes and writing copy is also a very skilled job. And normally you don't find audio editors have the kind of personality or skill set or interest um, to write good show notes, which is why. We have people doing different things. And, and because of the kind of DIY nature of how podcasting came into the world, of course, you know, the market is flooded with, you know, vanity projects, for want of a better word. And, and it's fine and it's cool. And if you're a hobbyist and you, and you, like, and you like doing this stuff, you know, there's uh, someone, someone at uh, Focusrite was talking to me about who, who make the gear. You know, there's people that like buying gear and doing this stuff and working out how it works. But in reality, <laughs> you know, the people who own businesses, the people who are looking to uh, entertain, they might be looking to be picked up by Netflix because they're great script writers, or they might be uh, in business looking to grow their network, have conversations. You know, these people's time is worth considerable amount of money. And, and, and so what you're, what you're seeing in podcasting is people are failing because 
they see that it's easy. The marketing and the and the the news um, in the podcasting world is, you know, you can you can start. It's easy. And actually, you know, this is why I think I don't know I don't know what the stat is, but it's something ludicrous. Like, um, uh, people stop after doing twelve episodes because they just can't realize. And normally, it's much sooner than that. Normally, there's so many podcasts on on the uh, Apple Podcasts and Stitcher, all those platforms, they're, they're just one episode just flying there, lying in the wind, you know, that's completely not relevant. Whereas actually showing up, doing what works in your words uh, and others before you, uh, showing up regularly and getting a message out regularly is is something you can do. And it's much easier if you've got a team who do the technical tasks and the heavy lifting, which is where we come in. Great. Well, Toby, thank you very much for uh, having us and, and great questions. And uh, thanks, man. I look forward to chatting again sometime. Yeah, I'll uh, send you a link to the uh, to the thing. Thanks, Mark. <laughs> Cheers, mate. This episode of Crisis Cast 2020 was produced by me in London and Kate Astrakhan in Michigan, with artwork by Ryan Field and sound design by Lee Turner. Crisis Cast 2020 is a production from Podcast Network Solutions, a full-service podcast production company who are ready to help you plan, record, produce, and promote your message with podcasting. To find out more and grab your copy of Podstar, if you're feeling pod-curious, visit us at podcastnetworksolutions.com.